0: Hi, everyone. Tim here. A quick preamble to this episode. Lauren and I recorded this in fall of 2022, as you'll soon hear when we settled into the conversation by means of a fun chat about New England's fall foliage. The episode then sat in the can for several months as we worked on a few projects, including planning for Workshun Sucks upcoming and podcast topic related wage equity summit. Now onto the episode.
1: Exactly. And I mean, that really, at the beginning of the pandemic, like, made me pretty furious. That whole thing where it was like, if you leave the Bay Area and we know about it, we're going to dock your pay. Like, come on, that's just, you have the money. Like, you have the money, you know you have the money. So pay the people regardless of how they live their lives. That bit leads me to, like, we are in the middle of the, I think actually the beginning of the biggest labor movement. That's happened in our lifetimes, Tim. And so I wonder if this data coming out is actually going to have more organizations unionize. Because the organizations that are probably not going to have any sort of issues are ones that already have unions. Because those workers know. Those workers have negotiated their rates and they know what everybody's making. And there's a standard for what the employer-employee relationship looks like and what equitable compensation looks like, regardless of what you think about unions, period. But those are the ones that are likely to be fine.
0: Hi, I'm Tim Sanova and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. On today's episode, are we in store for a treat? Podcasting's favorite co-host Lauren Ruffin has a brand new microphone and is using it to discuss wage transparency and equity. With New York's wage transparency law having gone into effect on November 1st and California's own version going live on January 1st, 2023, we thought it might be interesting to discuss what this means for employers and employees. In particular, what it means for those employers who feel like their starting place is a compensation approach without much or any consistency, transparency, or equity. Lauren is someone who needs no introduction on this podcast, but if you want to read about the cool things she's been up to, including her new faculty role in the World Building and Visualizing Futures program at Arizona State University, her updated bio is in the episode description. So in the interest of time, let's get going. Hey, Lauren, how's it going?
1: It's good. It's good. How are you? Vermont, it's uh, leaf peeping season up there yet?
0: It is. It is peak leaf peeping season, as determined by both the leaves and the amount of people at the coffee shop at, yeah. in the morning. Yeah,
1: people who are peeping.
0: Uh, yeah, I asked the barista, and she's like, yeah, we did 200 lattes yesterday. Oh my goodness. Which, I don't know, seems like a lot to me, but I don't know what their baseline is. So yeah. I, I thought maybe, maybe they should have like a tote board with like their daily latte velocity.
1: What's like the population of Stowe? I don't know,
0: three? Like a couple three thousand? A couple,
1: a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people? It's,
0: you know, who knows? But, but <laughs> oh, like, there's only one one road in and out, and so, like, it's it's packed. People are doing that thing where, like, they see a, a bright tree, and they just pull over suddenly and hop out with their camera, and, like, there's no shoulder. You're just, like, it's a two-lane road. Yeah. So, like, everyone backs up, and then everyone else feels like, oh, that's a good picture. So, like, there's, like, ten cars now parked to take a picture of this, yeah. you know, tree.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. So, it's, like, you know, rubbernecking, but for trees
0: yeah very much so. And yeah. you know, having grown up in southern Indiana, like there really wasn't like the same vibrancy in I mean, we thought there was, but like just because he had no comparator or like I've never been to New England before, but yeah, it drove around this morning, and like the 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 mountains are just covered in all the colors mm-hmm. right now, so yeah. it's in that period before that it turns to stick season which is a new thing that i learned about (laughs) last year so what's hold on what
1: is stick season i haven't heard about Stick
0: season is after the leaves fall it becomes stick season before ski season and restaurants close like people close up shop for like a couple of weeks to give the teams time to relax between all the people coming for you know apple cider and hay rides and then before the ski crowd or the winter sports crowd comes into town so that
1: makes sense
0: it does, but it also creates some weirdness when you go to like the restaurant like wait, why why is it closed on like this, the next two weeks. Yeah. So, but yeah. it is great for the like workers and stuff to be able to have that time off and you're like, you know, I'll just go to another place.
1: Yeah, I think um, people do that here in August cuz it's like, you know, 115 degrees. Like Phoenix, <laughs> you're just like, oh, this coffee shop has given up for a while. This restaurant yeah. they're just they're out of here.
0: Yeah, so that's the uh, height of the uh, fall foliage leaf peeping season. So I um, miss it.
1: I do miss that that part of the world. Cider donuts, man. Cider donuts.
0: Yeah, cider donuts. People are out in their plaid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, they're getting ready for like an art and craft fair down the street here this weekend. So mm-hmm. like everyone's bringing their North Country crafts, kettle <laughs> corn, you know, everything. Yeah.
1: Speaking of crunchy things that white people do, I ordered some Birkenstocks for the first time. They arrived last night. <laughs>
0: nice. Yeah, great.
1: I have plantar fasciitis been working out and it's flared up. So that firm soul is working for me, but they are the ugliest things I've ever seen. <laughs> they're just hitting us. Once again, <laughs> Birkenstocks will not be sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're slowly winnowing down to actually who might be less offended by
1: our podcast in order which, to sponsor it. Which potential sponsors have I turned off by disliking their products? They The product is great, but they could be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing.
0: You know, I, I saw an article where like Birkenstocks are having another day. I mean, I guess they always sort of had their diehard fans, but now it's like a fashion thing where, yeah. you know, people are bringing out the Birks again. So yeah. it was originally... It's like a hundred and plus year old company, I think. And it was originally um just the footbeds in shoes. And then they decided, well, why don't we just make our own sandals based off of these footbeds? So
1: it's like Vibram. You know? Kind of similar.
0: Exactly, right? Yeah. You know, the, the soles of shoes, but then they made those yeah. toe shoes mm-hmm. for a little while. Yeah. they were all hot. I had a pair well, of those.
1: Could. Maybe I actually have a history of buying shoes that are just ugly.
0: <laughs> you can create your own exhibit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. So, what are we yeah. talking about today? What's our what's our thing? What's you know, what we're going
0: to talk about today waste transparency in ooh. ninety days. Ooh, ooh. Or at this point, it's the you know, ninety days minus four or five because we're recording this at the very beginning of October, and. Last week, the governor of California signed the bill, I think it's 1162, that as of January 1, will require employers in California with 15 or more employees. So that's around 200,000 employers to include in their all of their job postings, the salary range that the employer, and this is the word I love, reasonably expects to pay for the position. And just to start with, they felt the need to put in reasonably because I can imagine someone's like one dollar <laughs> to eighty thousand is the reason is the range that we can expect. So like they had to spell out no, the reasonable range. Yeah. So yeah, this is something that I can imagine employers that don't have wage transparency already, that haven't been talking about set policies and practices for compensating and evaluating roles mm-hmm. and consistency across the organization, are going to have a very challenging time come mm-hmm. January one when they list that first salary and then people start to say, wait, that role pays that? Really? I do the same thing and I don't get paid that. So I can imagine there's a little stress.
1: Well, I guess we should start by talking about the distinction between wage equity and wage transparency. Go. (laughs) Right? Because, I mean, what you're talking about is people, There are organizations that haven't thought about compensation equitably and therefore them rolling out transparency is going to be particularly difficult.
0: Yes. It's going to lead to a lot of really awkward, really challenging conversations. Even if you have bans, wage bans people can land all over the place in a wage band, and then you effectively have everyone in your organization might make a different salary. And like, how do you determine those things? And for those listening, Lauren and I have spirited conversations for at least two items. One is around strict fixed-tier comp, and the other one is around which pay cycle should an organization use, like every two weeks or on the 15th in the last day of the month or the first of the 15th. And so we've talked a lot about wage transparency wage equity should it be bands should you do an over and under by 5% or should it just be everyone at a given tier makes exactly the same amount and if that might fit your values better or more be more aligned with your values even though no compensation system is perfect what are the disadvantages when you can't get a raise unless the tier moves or you get promoted and if there's nothing available to get promoted into especially at the upper levels of the organization you likely will lose really, really good people. You can't comp them any higher without breaking the bands at your own risk. For thus, having been co-CEOs of an organization that is strict fixed to your comp, which made things a little bit easier in one respect, I can imagine for organizations that have nothing like that, it's going to be yeah. a, a steep learning curve.
1: And I think in particular organizations, I, I know having worked for some organizations where comp was essentially like how close you were to the hiring manager
0: Mm, yeah,
1: or or how close you were to the founder. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. So just for my own clarification, Tim, is this transparency for new hires or are they requiring transparency throughout the organization?
0: So the California law also requires covered employers, employers with 15 or more employees to provide employees with the pay scale for their current positions upon request. So Mm -hmm. it's like All Upon upon request, but as soon as you get the request. So I think employers should assume or reasonably assume that they need to have this for every single role in their organization, or else it's going to be even more awkward when they don't. I mean, come January 1, people can start requesting, right? What's the pay scale for this role?
1: Also, a second question, is this for folks who are advertising positions? So let's say that you're hiring a role and you want to recruit nationally. What does that mean? Are you also impacted by this role or do you just have to advertise the salary, but you don't have to do anything else internally for your role?
0: So I was looking at this actually this morning because... In Colorado, the law requires any employer with at least one employee in Colorado to include pay disclosure in any job posting for a position that will or may be performed in Colorado, including remote positions, which is why when that first passed, we saw a number of organizations being like, no one in Colorado. They were like a carve out so that no one could apply from Colorado. So the California one, what I've been able to find is that that's ambiguous. Someone actually said the law is silent as to whether uh, pay disclosure requirements would relate in the same way for California. And so that's one of the areas where one or two of the law firms that I was looking at who provided guidance on that said that there might need to be additional guidance on that in that area because is it like Colorado where like if you post a national role or post for a remote role that can happen anywhere in say the U.S. If you have people applying in California that you know might be able to perform the role, then you've got to list the salary even if you might be located in you know Chicago or mm-hmm. Scranton, which then picks up as we you know like way more than the two hundred thousand yeah. employers in Cal- in California. But, you know, there's also a law pending in New York State that would pick up an employer with four-plus employees. Ooh. So this is one that New York City was had something that they are working on. It was supposed to go into effect as um, I think, April of 2022. But then the mayor slid it, or the new city council in New York City slid it to November, and they were trying to tweak it a little bit. But now I guess New York State has something that's waiting to be signed by the governor that would pick up four-plus employees. And so... New York State and California, in particular, are two of those states that are really often lead the uh-huh. employment law changes from a, a state level that start to impact other states. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see if that gets picked up because as of right now, there's only about, I don't know, five states. Five states in a, like, a random selection of cities that have wage transparency laws. Right. But clearly, California brings a lot of employers um, to the mix here.
1: I mean, and once you get to New York and California, it seems like that's just the way the world's going to have to go. I'm curious about sort of demographic shifts. Like once people start to see that, do they sort of begin to think about relocating differently back to these places? You know, if you're making $80,000 in Mississippi, you could, in theory, know that you could make a lot more money in New York State and have a decent quality of life. So let's say that you're in a role in an organization. You're the CEO or you're the chief people person, the CPP. Like, what what are you thinking about? Are you sweating or are you prepared right now? You're an organization that that doesn't have any sort of wage equity. Let's say, let's just go right there. Like, let alone transparency. It's been fairly ad hoc, what people get paid. People are negotiating their salaries left and right. You know, there are people in the organization who are, you know, making more than they should or less than they should. Where do you start? How do you get going on this?
0: I think there might be two buckets here. And, you know, the work that we do is focused on organizations who have active commitments to anti-racism, justice, equity, and often aren't working with organizations that have no connection to that, right? It's like, if they're not even in the, ecosystem of like, we need to be working on this. Like, I imagine though, if you take those different buckets or those two buckets, organizations that are like, have no understanding of equity, justice, anti-racism, anti-oppression, they're going to approach it in a completely different way than organizations who understand at least a little bit why this is important. And then from sort of rolling it out, like, it is what it is. Wherever your organization is right now it is where it is. I mean, you can't go back and fix it. And if you find out you have 40 employees and 40 people are making 40 different things, then, then like, it's kind of like your balance sheet, right? Like you might not like your cash position, but like the balance sheet is the balance sheet. And then it allows you to figure out like, all right, what do we do to improve that? And so I think for most organizations who, who might be in this position, it's like, okay, how can we get clear about where we are? And how we're going to get to something that's different, that's better, that's more transparent and equitable. So people know, right? Because I think the question that we get a lot of times is like, how do I get a raise? How do I get a promotion? Who do I talk to? What do I have to say? What time of year does that need to happen? And so as an organization, really getting clear on what those things are and what you're going to do about roles that might be like drastically different, two people working in the same role that get paid $20,000 difference. And it's not because someone's been there for 30 years. It's so like, mm-hmm. how are you going to handle those differences? I've seen a number of organizations who sort of saw this coming in different different ways, like are starting to get external comp assessments. Like we need an external firm to tell us where these roles should be comped. So at least we have internal equity, even if it's not external equity, we know that. All right. So on the whole, maybe every role is, if you look at median or you look at the 90th percentile or 75th percentile, we want to get everyone sort of to the same place Mm -hmm. and then we can go from there, but that might be a two year process. We know this as well, like we we were doing this at at Fractured Alice and we're like, that's a chunk of change to move everyone in the same Mm -hmm. year to where you need to be. So maybe it's a three-year process. And then what happens going forward And so I think right now it's like, you can't fix what happened yesterday or in the past, but you can get ready for how you're going to do this in a consistent and and fair way in the organization. And so I think organizations that are tuned into this from a values place talked to a number of organizations who are like, how do we infuse, you know, 15 different components to make sure it's equitable? And like, oh, that's going to get like a yeah. break on you at some point because who chooses those? Do you reevaluate those every year? So I think right now it's deciding, you know, maybe take a couple of weeks to decide what, what do we need to do? And then I can imagine external comp analysis firms are like in, getting inundated yeah. or will yeah. be shortly.
1: I mean, it feels like that might be an area of work we should get into, right? <laughs> As if we're not doing enough. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got time. You know, what you you just said brought up a couple of things for me, in particular around harm, because you said you can't fix it. And knowing what we know about the data for women, people of color, people with disabilities, we know that they're paid less over time and that this has such a huge impact on their, just their lifetime, right? Like, how do you repair that harm? I mean, I have to say, like, having workplaces where... I learned that I was making less than folks who were less talented than I was, most certainly, and less experienced. There's like an actual emotional like thing that happens when you're like, "Wow, they don't value me at the same level they value this person." And then there's the real thing, knowing that maybe for the last three or five years I've made, you know, ten or twenty thousand dollars less. It could have a thirty to sixty thousand dollar impact on what I'm taking home to my family. How do organizations navigate harm? Do we think people are going to be having those conversations? Do you think? Do folks have the sort of, you know, skill and emotional intelligence to be able to have those? Because, I mean, this could be really hurtful to folks. You
0: know, when I talk about fix it, it's like you can't change the decisions that were made. Like, you can't go back and change that decision. Like, you can certainly, like, from this day forward, think about like, how this is impacting people right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot here. And I imagine, you know, if you look at the sort of Venn diagram of organizations who are like approaching this from an equity and justice lens. Even fewer have the skills internally to be able to navigate those conversations. So I can also imagine there's a lot of people who are a lot of organizations who are trying to figure out restorative justice facilitators. And like, how do you actually mm-hmm. talk about this work? Because someone I know said, it may, they might even be on this podcast, said everyone's for equity until it comes to their own salary. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's so true. And that person's is genius. Like,
0: yeah, that's right. They, they may or not be, the you know, podcasting's favorite co-host. <laughs> Going back to that number means so much. People put so much into that number, that compensation number. And it's not just, you know... What you get paid in your check—it's your—it's your, it's your, val- people it's your the, value. People, that's my value. Are you worth. I'm spending most of my waking hours doing this thing. It's things like Adam's equity theory and room's expectancy theory comes into play, and yeah, looking at sort of the lifetime earning potential of someone in a role—it's like the compounding interest. If you're not making the same ten thousand that the person you work with makes over the lifetime of your role. Your lifetime of your career, that's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars that you wouldn't have earned. And so we saw things around like many states and cities have prohibit asking people what they made in a role, which for us is like, just pay them what you're going to pay them. What what does it matter what they used to get paid? So I think, you know, when it comes to harm, I think that's part of what organizations need to do right now is figure out how that fits into it. Where is it going to show up? We've talked before about like, how excited would he be about a role if you get into the organization and find out you could have been making $5,000 more? Right. What does that do? Like, you can have an amazing hiring process that's building trust and psychological safety. And then on day two, the person's like, yeah, do you know, like, they could have paid you $5,000 more. (laughs) And like, all of that goodwill disappears.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I have talked so much about like, hiring people who make you happy and you're excited to work with and really being committed to treating them well while they're working with you and i just think nickel and diming someone like not paying them as much as you possibly could not being transparent about that is actually like a pretty awful thing to do because it does have that cascade and in particular if you're an organization that is actively trying to hire because so many of them are are trying to hire people of color and women and women of color in particular um, queer women of color in particular particular (laughs) you know like you're just to me it's you're just exploiting a community that has historically just been so undervalued. So, I mean, I think thinking about it from like a harm restoration and like repair piece and if staff are holding employees accountable in that way, I think it's going to be a really hard time for some folks.
0: Because there will be some things I think that get picked up now as people start to know what everyone else makes officially. Because we know, like, mm-hmm. people talk about their salary already. So, like, so now you're, the company is officially saying this is the range for this role. Yeah. And then how do you decide who gets paid the lower end of it and the upper end? And, and that's you- where
1: I'm like, God, like, if your reason for not paying someone is because, you know, they're single, <laughs> you know, or I mean, it's just all of these are like, you know, they have kids and you assume they're going to have more sick days. And so, you, you know, I mean, there's just all this weird, awful stuff that people do above and beyond, like, sort of the covered pregnancy Gender, all that stuff. It's an interesting, interesting can of worms to open.
0: This is where I find it's really important to go back when you're hiring for the role to clarify the knowledge, skills, and abilities that people in this role have to be able to perform. Because I find it, it can be an antidote to, well, this person gets we have to pay them more because they've been doing this job more or they have the they have an MBA. Versus like this other person is going to do just as good a job and maybe they've been only doing the work for two years. What's the output? Like, are, what are they bringing to this role? And so getting really clear what those knowledge, skills, and abilities are. Does this person clear the bar? Great, then pay them the way well, you're going to pay anyone who clears that bar. And don't try and like noodle on like, well, they need an extra this or that. And this is where I found Fixed tier Comp was really helpful. Yeah, is this yeah, person yeah. clearing the bar? Great, pay them this. Because <laughs> the other thing we've seen is like... Organizations who are like, well, you know, we'll pay you this if you live in San Francisco, but like, we'll pay you this minus twenty five thousand if you live in, you know, Benton, Arkansas. So now you're balancing your, you're trying to balance your budget based off where people are living, and rather than saying like, pay them what you're going to pay them if they lived in San Francisco, and let them decide how they want to structure their lives. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And I mean, that really at the beginning pandemic like made me pretty furious. Yeah. That whole thing where it was like, if you leave the Bay area and we know about it, we're going to dock your pay. Like, come on. That's just, you have the money. Like you have the money, you know, you have the money. So pay the people regardless of how they live their lives. That bit leads me to like, we are in the middle of, I think actually we're the beginning of the biggest labor movement that's happened in our lifetimes, Tim. And so I wonder if this data coming out is actually going to have more organizations you Because the organizations that are probably not going to have any sort of issues are ones that already have unions. Because those workers know. Those workers have negotiated their rates and they know what everybody's making. And there's a standard for what the employer-employee relationship looks like and what equitable compensation looks like. Regardless of what you think about unions, period. But those are the ones that are likely to be fine.
0: This is a moment in, in our lifetime, in particular, where people are questioning what is work yeah. and what is the value to work and what is my value in work and my value to this organization. And I think of Sarah Jaffe's book, Work Won't Love You Back, and all of the research that she includes in sort of how and why stuff works the way it works, like where power exists and all of this is operating in a sort of a capitalist society. And like, how do you like reconcile this? And so, yeah, I think there's some really interesting stuff that's happening right now it's going to be, you know, in two years, three years to look back on all of this uh, will be really interesting. In the course that I was t- I'm teaching at Minneapolis College of Art and Design right in this past week was spent really studying disability justice and ableism. Mm-hmm. And one of the articles that I shared with the students was around long COVID and the impacts of long COVID on the workplace. And the article, and I think this was probably in August, it was using data from July or August of 2022, saying that there are 4 million people who are unable to work because of long COVID symptoms. Mm. And that doesn't include people who are able to work, but have to change up how they work and you know, accommodations based off of this. And there are many articles that are calling this, quote unquote, the largest mass disabling event oh, in yeah. our times. And so like... what as we, as we think about inclusion and equity and justice and like workplace design and how you might have the same 40 people who worked with you in February of 2020 now working, but like it changes of how you approach the work and like all of this stuff is intertwined mm-hmm. in a way that for organizations that aren't spending time like with their teams talking about this, how are they mm-hmm. designing? How are they showing allowing people to show up in the way that they need? people are going to vote with like where where they decide to spend their time. So
1: I have a feeling that you and I are going to be talking about this again in 6 months. Probably,
0: right? <laughs> We're going to see what happens after January 1 yeah. and if organizations If many organizations do anything before January 1, like who are the organizations that might be doing something like our colleagues at Common Future just posted about two weeks ago around their, their arc to get to wage transparency and the Mm -hmm. firm that they used and sort of the process that they used, which I think is helpful because so many organizations are trying to figure out like what, how do you actually even approach this Mm -hmm. because they haven't given much thought to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. so it's going to be a mess. Oh,
1: man. Well, I don't know. As someone who is prone to saying, I told you so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, are, you are prone to saying, I told you so.
1: We have been telling people that maybe they should pay folks equitably for their work. So I lumped you in. I said, I, and then we. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, you, if you decide not to say, I told you so on this one in six months, after everything goes to hell in a handbasket, I'm happy to sort of do it for you. It'll make me feel doubly good.
0: Great. Well, we will do a recap of this one in six months to find out how it's playing out and good, bad, and not so great. Yeah. Good, bad, not so great. That's a good
1: way
0: of putting it. Yeah, Also feel like that could be a t-shirt slogan. So let's put that one on the list. Okay,
1: good. It's Uh, on the list.
0: Cool. Lauren, always a pleasure, my friend, to spend time with you unpacking these these conversations and hope you have a great rest of the week. And thanks as always for being podcasting's favorite co-host.
1: Oh, thanks for being the best host in podcasting.
0: If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or a phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. Until next time, thanks for listening.